0: shared just now with Warren also sharing. Um, The question is, can God sometimes lead us directly into hardship and trials? So if we follow Jesus perfectly and he's the good shepherd, um, and uh, he says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, if we follow Jesus, the good shepherd, does he always just lead us to green pastures or does he sometimes also lead us through the valley of the shadow of death? Another question, another way to put it, If we are perfectly led by the Spirit, will everything always be smooth sailing? Or in truly following him, will he sometimes lead us directly into the storm? So as we just process that a little bit, (laughs) um, we also have to remember that God is good. He is faithful. And if he does lead us into hardship and trials, he surely has a very good reason for it. It's not because he's uh, indifferent or he's just like mocking us and he's just like, ah, I'm going to see how they squirm. Uh, he, He loves us. And we, we sang this just now, um, his love never fails. So in the midst of these trials, his love stands stays central. But the question remains, does he sometimes lead us into trials? I want to kind of go through three quick stories just to uh, try to get to the bottom of this. And the first one is in Mark 4, verse 35 to 41. And uh, just the context of this, Jesus was teaching all day. And uh he's probably kind of a little bit tired, and it's getting towards evening now. And then we pick up the story here, and it says, um, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. Uh, that's now, it's just it's the other side. It's talking about the Sea of Galilee here. you can just stop there for a moment. Just, so the Sea of Galilee, it is kind of in the center of Israel, and it's not a massive, it's not really a sea, it's actually just a large lake. And I've been there, and you can quite easily just on the one side, see all the way across to the other side. When you... It's quite hilly around there, so when you, you're up on a high hill, you can kind of see the entire lake. And you can see all the boats that's on it, and y- you have a, a feeling for the entire lake what, if you're on a hill. So I- it's about 13 kilometers from the one side to the other side, and if you were to go to the other side in the boats that they had in those days, it would have probably taken about two to two and a half hours to row to the other side, which is kind of the speed at which you would be walking, so it's not super fast <laughs> to get to the other side. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how long it took. So if it's not evening, it's probably, let's say, 6, uh, six o'clock at evening. And Jesus says, let's go to the other side. So typically it's going to take about two hours or so. But we'll get to the other side. We're going to have a good night's rest. It's, it's really fine. So, yeah, then we carry on, verse 36. It says, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, took Jesus along. Just as he was into the boat, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up. And waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that, that take care if we drown? <laughs> and he got up, rebuked the wave, wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the waves died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still, not have, uh, still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, "Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him?" Now, first of all, just the answer to that last question: Who is he that even the wind and the waves obey him? It's he's clearly God, <laughs> and they're going to discover this a little bit uh, later in the next story. But this is c- a story that actually shows the God nature of Jesus, that he is God, and he he's the only one, or God is the only one that has the authority to command the winds and the waves to be still. But the interesting thing to me about this is it's not like Jesus didn't know the storm was going to hit on the sea. When he taught them, get in, let's get into the boat and go to the other side, he already knew that there was going to be a storm on the way there. And yet, he purposefully sent them into this trial. He said, we're going to get into the boat and go to the other side. And it's like, okay, well, Jesus, it's evening, but okay, it's two hours, it's fine. And at that stage, when they got in the boat, there was no sign of winds or waves or anything. It's only once they were halfway out that it says that and then suddenly winds and waves came upon them. And obviously, Jesus was sleeping in, in this. And then when He woke them up. He rebuked them quite sharply. It's like, um, he rebukes them for their lack of faith. And and why are you afraid? Like, do you still not have faith? So he sent them into this trial to test their faith. He purposefully planned this as a test of their faith. And the the way the tests work is it is typically something that squeezes us so that we can see what comes out of us. So. that's that's just the reality of how people work. You only really know what's inside someone until you squeeze them. And as soon as they're squeezed, then both you and the other person find out what's actually inside of them. Um, So I actually had an interesting experience, not with me being squeezed, but with, uh, uh, just to, to illustrate this, that you only know what's inside something as soon as you squeeze it. So after I finished studying, I went to Ermelo, lived there by myself. It's the first time I was completely isolated up to that stage. My mom would always buy stuff and then bring it and then just stock our fridge. It was a, a quite a spoiled life in that sense. And uh, so now I'm, for the first time, I'm actually, for myself, no, going to the grocery store and figuring out how to do my own shopping. And uh, I was like, okay, well, I walk past through the aisles and things, and I see, oh, here's some oranges, and I buy an orange. Oh, 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 some of one of the many things that I bought, or at least I thought it was an orange. And uh, then I, I got home. Quite excited for my nice sweet orange juice that I'm going to drink now, so I cut the thing open and it's pink inside, and I'm like, okay, this is a strange orange. Must be a weird cultivar that they've got here in Urmelo. I've never come across something like this before. Um, so anyways, I then just juice it, I squeeze it out, and to make myself juice, and I start drinking. It's like, why is this so bitter? <laughs> it's like I was expecting nice sweet orange juice, and I got this, I, I got this bitter grapefruit juice <laughs> in the end. And that's just reality of things. From the outside, an orange and a grapefruit looks almost identical. It's very hard to tell the difference if you just quickly see them. Um, so I obviously didn't read the labels at the bottom. I just assumed, oh, this is an orange, and I bought it. And uh, once you squeeze it and you see what comes out of it, then you actually know what it truly is. And it's the same with, with us, with people, is that as soon as we're squeezed, what is truly in us will come out. From the outside, we can look fine and we're solid and everything. But as soon as we squeeze, then what's really inside comes out. So we can stand like, no, I've got faith, I've got faith. But as soon as that faith is tested, then we see if we truly have faith or not. So the next story, this is now um, a little bit later. So uh, this is in Matthew 14, verse 22 to 33. And uh, this is now a b- little bit later in Jesus' ministry. His disciples have seen him do many miracles, and it's they've gone through lots of experiences with him. It's like, this is clearly God. And actually, just before we pick up the story, they saw the the multiplication of bread and fish. There was five fish and uh, five <laughs> loaves and two fish, which Jesus multiplied and fed five thousand people, excluding women and children. And they picked up twelve baskets afterwards. So I mean, like, just imagine you're part of this experience. You're seeing we don't have any food. Jesus kind of tested you, it's like, what are we going to give them to eat? And the disciples are like, I don't know. We, there's no shops and no not enough money to buy food for everyone. And then Jesus gets the f- fish and the loaves and he uh, he divides it. And he like, there must be completely convinced that this is God, this is the Messiah, like we can trust him, whatever he says, we can trust him, because he's proven through his miracles that he is who he says he is. So, after all of these experiences, Jesus decides, okay, I'm going to test them again. So, this just happened, like they just fed the 5,000, they're still pick busy picking up the baskets, and then t- um, Matthew fourteen twenty two, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. So, this is now j- just finished. Packing up the baskets, and then immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side again, off the L- Sea of Galilee, while he dimi- dismissed the crowd. And you could kind of hear the disciples thinking in this process. It's like, it's now evening. Jesus, do you remember what happened the last time when, you, when it was evening and you told us, "Let's go to the other side"? There was a storm. There wasn't initially a sign of a storm, but then when we got there, there was a storm, and that wasn't fun. And at least that time you were with us and you can't storm. but now you're telling us to go ahead of you. You are staying behind to dismiss the crowd. It's evening again, like this this is not a good idea, Jesus. We, we did don't want to go there. <laughs> so y- it's funny, it says Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. <laughs> it's it's like they were not keen. That's kind of clear there. So w- let's carry on. Um next verse. Okay, after he's dimi- dismissed them, it's not Jesus dismissing the crowd. He went up to the mountainside by himself to pray, and evening came, and he was there alone. Now, I just want to kind of stop you for a second. So, just from Jesus' perspective, imagine this. You were busy all day. You were multiplying <laughs> enough bread and fish to feed 5,000 people. That must have taken a long time. Then you you went through the logistics of dismissing the people. You've just been a, through a busy time of your life. You're tired. You, you're like, I just did the wo- will of God now. Now, I can surely just sit back and relax a bit and just <laughs> rest a bit. But what Jesus does, despite being tired and exhausted, I'm sure, he goes up to the hill to pray. And and this nature of Jesus has, has really inspired me. It's this, despite being tired and despite being exhausted, still maintain your consistency in prayer. Like there's this lesson or this phrase that the Lord has really planted in my heart this last while. It's just, it's just show up. Set a time and just show up. <laughs> if it's just five minutes or if it's just one minute or whatever, just show up just be consistent in your private prayer life it is absolutely essential to be able to stand against any trials or temptations okay so let's carry on so jesus is now up on the hill alone and evening came right i can just pick it up here on my side um okay but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land so I said 13 kilometers in width, so it's, let's say, about six kilometers in. So they're kind of in the middle of the Sea of Galilee now. And it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, just stop. You can just go for the next verse, I think, as well. Uh, And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and cried out in fear. Now, there's a couple of interesting things just for me here. Again, f- think from Jesus' perspective. He was busy all day. He prayed probably throughout the night. He saw, because you can see on the from the mountainside, you can see that, oh, the boat is struggling there in the middle of the water. And then he comes walking to them, and they're probably six kilometers in. So Jesus is walking for six kilometers on the water. It's probably taking about an hour to walk that distance. And the waves are going like this. It's it's not like you have to y- imagine like what is actually going on here. It's, it's quite incredible. It's quite insane. And, and the I- it's... Very cool to me, in a way, that uh, even in this, the fact that Jesus is walking on water, it's not just some random thing that he's doing. It is also, again, directly him showing that he is God. And in Job 9 verse 8 says this so nicely, actually. It's talking about God. And then uh, I'm just going to read it here. It says, and uh, he alone is talking about God. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So it's not just some random th- thing that Jesus did. It is, again, him showing that he is God. God treads on the waves of the sea. Um, in the ESV, it says he tramples on the waves of the sea. It's, it's not a heavy thing for him. It's, it's just in his, his God nature, he, he shows his power over, over nature, over things that we consider um, overwhelming. Yeah. And now just remember, again, from the disciples' perspective, they were now starting to set out, let's say, about 5, 6 o'clock, and it's now between 3 and 6 in the morning. So they've probably been rowing for about 10 hours at this stage. Remember, it's about a two hour d- row from the one side to the other side under normal conditions. When the storm hits, it's suddenly no longer two hours. They've been now busy for 10 hours and they're s- now only in the middle of the lake. So they're completely exhausted and tired as well. And it's, it's like they must have surely been thinking at this stage, Jesus, you have forsaken us. Like, you you have led us to this place. You've taught us to go here. We tried to tell you it's not a good idea, yet you still sent us into this thing. And look where we are now, and where are you? Like, we're not just by ourselves here. We're suffering by ourselves. Like, you have forsaken us. That must be, surely have been the thought that's in the head. So the next verse in uh, Matthew, Jesus immediately responds to this. Like, when just after they say that they think it's a ghost and they were terrified. i just going to pick it up here. It says, but Jesus spoke to them at once and said, don't be afraid, take courage, I am here. It's the first thing, first words that come out of out of his mouth is, take courage, I am here. And actually what he's trying to say is not that I have only arrived and now I'm here. He's he actually trying to sh- illustrate to them that I've been here all this time. Yeah. And in Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, you kind of see Jesus is almost quoting directly from this. Deuteronomy 31 verse 8, it says, the Lord himself, Yahweh himself, goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Jesus says, do not be afraid. Take courage. I am here. He is saying, I've been here all this time. I've never forsaken you. It's only in your experience that you've not been aware of my nearness with you. But I've actually been there with you through this the whole time. This didn't catch me off guard. I was actually sending you again into this. So then we see then Peter obviously saying that, uh, Lord, if it is you, tell me to come to you. Just the next verse. So, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to to you on the water. And come, Jesus said. (laughs) Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, and he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus called Peter out onto the water, and Peter actually walked on the water while he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, but as soon as he again looked at the waves, all of these things, all of the suffering from the last 10 hours came back, and it's like, Jesus, I, I, I don't really trust you. Like, I'm looking at the problem again. I'm looking at this challenge. Like, are you really faithful? Can I really trust you? And at that moment, he starts sinking, and luckily, he cries out, Lord, save me, and Jesus' response is is beautiful. It's, it's says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt me? And it's it's almost as if you can hear the hurt in Jesus' voice here. It's like, why did you doubt me? Like, I've been with you so long. You've seen all the works, all the miracles. You saw me walking on the water. Like, I've just proclaimed that I'm with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then still, you you struggle to keep your eyes on me. you, You still lack faith. You of little faith. Why did you doubt me? And so once again, Jesus calmed the storm in the next verse. And uh, when they cli- when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. So there's something clicks. And it's it's almost easy once you once the storm has calmed down to see, Oh, Jesus has been with me and he is the Son of God. But in the moment when we're facing the storm, it is very hard sometimes to actually keep our eyes fixed on him and it's it's very hard to to experience him in there and that is the encouragement that, that Jesus is actually trying to teach them here is that keep your eyes on me, like keep trusting in me and then you would know that I'm with you and I will be your, your uh, encouragement and your ability to endure these trials. So Jesus purposefully sent them into another trial and um, Again, this was to squeeze them to see what would come out of them, and again, it was clear that their faith and their trust was lacking. So, what did we, what did they learn from this, and what do we learn from trials? Usually, it's it's kind of hard to tell sometimes. Like, what is the actual lesson that we learn? And it's it's not primarily an intellectual lesson, I think. It is it's more a character lesson, and we we actually learn how to trust God in this. Um, and uh, in Second Timothy two verse thirteen, it says, "Even if we are faithless, it says, Peter, you have little faith." says, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So he acknowledges that sometimes our faith struggles. Sometimes we become faithless. But he remains faithful despite all of those things, because he cannot deny himself. So another story, um, just a quick reference to it, is just about Jesus himself um, being tempted and tested and tried. Um, And first of all, we know from Hebrews 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest talking about Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but... We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So Jesus is well acquainted with temptations and trials and things that he had to face. It's not often recorded, um, but one of the the well cited ones that is recorded is in Matthew 4. So just the context of Matthew 4. Jesus has just been baptized. And if you remember the story of his baptism, as he was coming out of the water, the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descended down on him as a dove. uh, this loud voice spoke out of heaven this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased in an audible voice that everybody heard like you literally can't get more affirmation than that (laughs) it's like uh, this is my boy and I'm well pleased with it so just after this like literally Jesus is kind of getting out of the water probably still a little bit wet and then he it says Uh. Matthew 4 verse 1 then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for the purpose of being tempted in the t- in the wilderness was Jesus led by the Spirit. So it, I always want to make it clear that Jesus was perfect. He was without sin, as we just established. So trials and temptations, it's not some form of punishment that God is exacting upon us. It's like, oh you, you're such a terrible person, now I'm going to punish you with this trial. God uses trials to actually test us, to squeeze us, to see what's going on in, in our hearts. And, and Jesus was squeezed, you could say, by his Father to prove that he is the righteous Son of God, that that he has been sent into the world to live the perfect life, that he can actually die in our place. So this, w- this test or this trial was not to destroy Jesus. It was actually to prove his righteousness. The enemy tried to destroy him through it, of course, and to get his allegiance to him. But God used this to prove actually the righteousness of his son. So a trial isn't that s- not necessarily a bad thing. It can actually prove something good. Now, I just want to, as a side note, I just want to comment on that s- to say that there is something like the discipline of the Lord. We do read about it in Hebrews 12, and God can use trials to discipline us. But in his discipline, it's always out of love and to grow us and to grow us into maturity. It's never to, to destroy and to, to break us down. It is like, come on, you, you, like I just want to lift you up so that you, you can actually stand and you can, you can run stronger. So, so that is the point of his discipline. But what I'm trying to say is that not all of trials is discipline we often face trials for various reasons now getting a little bit more into the the technicalities as <laughs> suppose. in the Greek there is only one word for both trials and temptations so usually when you see the word trial or temptation um, it's the translator that decided which word to put there it's in the Greek it's just the same word the, the base word is um, perasmos, and it simply means to test or to prove and it's not inherently a negative word it doesn't have a n- negative connotation it's like I'm I'm just testing whether this chair can hold my weight or It's just a, a, a generic or a general word. Now often when you r- use it in the context of people being tested or being proved, it obviously means that you're going through some kind of a difficult situation. So for us, usually we would say a trial or a, t- or a temptation is some kind of a difficult situation that we go through. And that same situation could either be a temptation or a trial, depending kind of on our response to it. Usually we would call it a temptation if it's something that entices us to, to sin if we act out on it, and a trial is something that actually leads us or grows us into strength and victory when once we overcome it. So I'm going to just focus a bit more on trials and temptations, just uh, the difference between them, but it's, it's more a semantic difference that we have kind of applied to this word, but it, it helps to unpack some aspects of it. So in James 1, verse 2 to 4, it's uh, probably one of the more famous passages regarding trials. And... Uh, going to read it here so James 1 verse 2 to 4 it says count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing now I'm sure we all want that last bit we want all to be perfect and complete and lacking in nothing and James gives us the way to get there he says there's gonna be various trials that's gonna come up on your path, various trials. It's not just, it's like you literally can't get more generic than that, various trials. <laughs> it's a trial is just a difficult situation, various difficult situations. It could be like literally a toothache or a, a demonic attack or having kids could be a trial. Um, anything that you're facing which is challenging to you c- falls under the category of various trials. And he says that is going to produce statefastness in you and that steadfastness, once that is uh, as its full effect, then you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And for that reason, that we know what the end result is, that is why I can say, count it joy when you face various trials. I wanna m- emphasize this, he did not say enjoy it. <laughs> he did not, did not say it's gonna be fun. <laughs> he acknowledged that it's gonna be challenging, but he said, count it joy, yeah. because it will ultimately lead to steadfastness and um, you, know, you having everything and not lacking in anything. So why, why do we count it joy? Uh, it's because we're not learning an t- intellectual lesson from it. We're actually learning a character lesson from it. We're learning how to endure. We're learning how to remain steadfast. We're learning how to trust God. <laughs> and we're learning how to wait on God. And wait on God. And wait on God. It's uh, it's this mindset uh, shift that he is trying to establish in us. So that we would actually trust him and know that he is faithful through it. So there's actually just one other place, just for interest sake, where this phrase testing of your faith occurs in the New Testament. And it's in 1 Peter 1 verse 6 and 7. And it's quite a... A very familiar passage as well. It says, um, so be truly glad that uh, there is a wonderful joy ahead of you. That's the salvation stored in heaven for you. Um, Even though you endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. um, And it's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So I just want to uh, quickly pull it one step back as well. Like th- these trials, it's not just limited to persecution for Christ's sake. Like that is, th- there is trials that's associated to that, but it's it's actually any trial that we face, any hardship, that is the thing that's refining us like like fire. And the, the just to talk a little bit about fire refining gold. Let's say you've got some gold and there's lots of impurities in it. The way you get those impurities out is you put that thing in a furnace and it melts and all the impurities drift to the top because gold is very dense so it goes to the bottom. And you can scrape off all the pu- impurities from the top quite easily. But there's no other way to get the impurities out of the gold. So then what does it say about our faith? If our faith has some impurities in it, how do we get those impurities out? Through trials. <laughs> that is the the way that these impurities can rise to the top so that it can actually be dealt with. It becomes visible to us so that we can actually deal with it. And just with this, uh, This trial is not being limited to persecution. And there's actually, when we persevere, once we've gone through this and uh, we have been purified, in uh, James 1 verse 12 it says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So if you love him, God has promised the crown of life to you. And the way you receive that crown of life is by enduring and standing firm, standing steadfast in various trials. So I've actually come to um, learn this lesson, that God is actually more committed to my character than he is committed to my comfort. Uh, And eternally I will thank him for that, but in the moment I just have to trust him through it, that uh, he has my best in mind and that he is actually going to lead me through it. And I want to use the example of Luca, I'm seeing him playing back there now. so, Luke and I, we often go for walks, like almost every day, we go for a walk to Achafonen and we stay at the top part of Achafonen, so usually the first thing he does is he runs all the way to the very, very bottom, and then <laughs> we have to walk all the way up, and uh, he's, he knows where the uphill starts, so initially we would get to the very bottom, and as soon as we get to the bottom, he would kind of look at me, and it's like, up, up. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, now I have to carry you up here. Yeah. Um, and on the one hand, I, I started, started to see something that he is... Um, learning or is, is he's not willing to face difficulty. One as soon as he sees like, okay, this is not gonna be a bit more challenging than going downhill, he uh, is trying to look for a way out. And I've deliberately started to say, no, y- you've got strong legs, like, I know you can walk. I, I know what your limits are. I am going to let you walk a little bit up. So I would now typically, once he does that, it's like, no, come on, look here, you can self-loop. And then I would walk a few steps in front of him, and then he would actually, I would usually have to distract him a little bit with the ball or something so that he stops whining. <laughs> But then he he actually comes up, and he walks quite a distance up. And at some point, sometimes he he gets tired, and I can say, okay, no, he's not really tired, so then I would actually pick him up and carry him, because I I know his limits. But I also know that if I don't let him walk up the hill himself, he's never actually going to learn to grow in that area. So yeah, it's not like I am trying to punish him. I am actually doing it for his benefit. So what we're actually learning (laughs) in trials is to trust, and that's what I think he's also learning, is he's learning to trust me, to say that I, I, I know what he's capable of and he can trust that I would not expose him deliberately to something which he is not able to bear. Um, and in that learning to trust, trusting God now for our trials, we're actually boarding our relationship with him. Like I, that, that is a relationship boarding thing, is, is that that element of trust. It's, it's a, in Afrikaans we have the saying, um, um, you've eaten a few bags of salt up together. I don't know if that really translates. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, what it means is, like, you've, you've been – usually refers to a married couple. Like, you've been through good times. You've been through bad times. You've, you've kind of faced many things together. And th- all of those things have brought your relationship to strengthen you, actually, as a couple. And it's the same thing that happens with us and God. Like, all of these trials strengthen our relationship with him. And I want to argue that our relationship with God, relationship with Jesus, is the most crucial part of our entire existence. It's – he is the bridegroom. We are the bride. That is the relationship that will last into eternity. The climax of history where, where essentially things wrap up for this age is when Jesus returns for his bride. That is the climactic moment where he is united with his bride and the marriage supper of the Lamb occurs, and then we will spend eternity with him. So in this previu- pre-spending eternity with him part, um, there is th- these trials that he sends us through or that he allows us to go through, which uh, actually bores us r- our relationship with him, bores our trust with him, bores our just love for him, essentially, once we get through these things. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, trials are not a bad thing. They, they test our faith. They actually pu- uh, help us to be purified and to grow us and draw us closer to God. So now I want to go to the other interpretation of this word, which is temptations. i um, just briefly talk about that. So in, in James 1, verse 13 to 15, um, it says that, uh, let no one say when he is tempted, I am be being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Th- then desire, when it g- has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So trials—trials—is. Uh, or well let me just kind to start like this: trials are often more external things that happen to you. S- temptations are often quite internally driven. It's our own desires that entice us, that draws us away, and. And just this, this lie that temptation gives you is that it's, it's actually okay. Like you, you can maintain this, you can go there, it's, it's fine. And and I just want to emphatically state you cannot control or maintain sin as we just saw. Once it is fully grown, it brings forth death. It's, it's this picture that Kala shared a few weeks ago where I think it was he had a snake that he was holding under a an oar. And then he realized at some point like either I'm going to crush the snake now or the snake is going to get out. But there's no way I can keep him just here because the snake is going all over the place. And that's the same thing with sin. It will escape and it will bite us and it will ultimately lead to death. It's not necessarily from the moment that we sin that we would see that death. And that's, I think, where the, the, the enemy com- becomes sneaky. It's like, yeah, it was fine previously. You can just do it again. Yeah. And uh, ultimately, it will lead to death and we must be aware of that. Now, a person can only really be tempted by something that is tempting to that person. So for some person, it might be Lust for another person might be stealing, another person might be lying. So, for example, for one person, you might walk into a shop, see a fancy bangle or something and not have the slightest urge to put it in your pocket (laughs) and walk out. (laughs) Another person might walk and see that same bangle and and say, okay, well, I I have to now actually fight this urge not to shoplift, shoplift. So... The enemy knows where we are weak, and it's in those areas of weakness that we are enticed and that we are, are tempted. And God can send us into trials, but as we g- also clearly see, He doesn't tempt us. We are tempted by our own desires, and it's not even the devil that is directly tempting us. Like we are tempted by our own desires, the, the devil just knows where to poke us. He just whispers into our ear and he says, "Hey, you know this thing that y- you want, or that you want to look at, or, or whatever. Like this is going to bring you joy. This is going to bring you satisfaction. This is going to be..." nice for you and then it's our selfish entitlement that grabs onto that thing and says I want this I need this and actually I deserve this and once we get to that point sin has been conceived in our hearts and then when we act on it ultimately it will lead to death I actually believe that the, the root of most of our temptations lie our own selfishness and we so easily become just one black mass of self. It's just me, 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 and like what, I can, what I want, what I need, what will make me happy, what will bring me joy. And um, the r- reality is that self-demands, or uh, often the reality for us is that self-demands and receives nearly everything that it wants. Our resistance to just living out our self-life is very, very small often. And the, the great lie of the temptation is that it actually offers you happiness and performance. But the truth is, the more that sin is indulged, the more misery you can expect in its wake. And in some inexplicable way, the more you indulge in sin, the more the self-life grows. And the more the self-life grows, the more you desire sin. So this thing is just feeding on itself the whole time. And uh, just to emphasize this point in case it's not clear, God's kingdom is not bought on selfishness. It's bought on selflessness. It's not bought on pride. It's bought on humility. It's like we being humble before the Lord, where we die to self, where we lay down our own lives before him. This is a great quote by Roy Ession. I'm just going to read it to you. And I want to, if you're falling a bit asleep, just want you to quickly listen to this quote. I think it uh, nails it quite well. It says, it is often self who tries to live the Christian life. It is always self who gets irritable and envious and resentful and critical and worried. It is self who is hard and unyielding in its attitudes towards others. It is self who is shy and self-conscious and reserved. No wonder we need breaking. As long as self is in control, God can do little with us. People imagine that dying to self makes one miserable, but it's just the opposite. It's the refusal to die to self that makes one miserable. The more one knows, the death of, with knows of death with him, the more we shall know of his life in us, and so more of real peace and joy. Now, if you're saying, if you're sitting here and saying, like, uh, actually, I'm fine. Like, I don't really struggle with this. I don't really struggle with temptation. I'm, I'm fine. Like, I've dealt with these things. I'm standing strong. I just want to offer a warning. Um, in in Proverbs, it says that pride comes before the fall. And in, in First Corinthians ten verse twelve to thirteen, it says that therefore let anyone who thinks that he is standing firm take heed lest he falls. It is so easy that once we think we're standing firm, that the enemy can just like focus just in the right place and then we trip up again and it's almost worse in that space. But uh, just the verse after that, verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation, uh, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, the first thing I wanna point out is that God is faithful and um, he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able to endure which is comforting, but then uh, the second part I don't like so much personally. <laughs> I really wish it didn't say that. <laughs> it says he will also provide the way of escape. There's one way of escape, the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. The way of escape is not getting out of it. God doesn't, when we're facing temptations, he doesn't take us out of the thing. He gives us the strength to go through it. That is his way of dealing with temptations, getting through it. And, and like you're saying, trials, temptations is actually the same word. So you can apply this verse also to trials. It's like when we go through difficult times, it's not just that, okay, God, get take me out of this thing. His way of getting out of it is going through it. And we actually see that with Jesus. When he was fa- facing the temptations, when the Spirit led him to the wilderness, he had to go through all the trials and temptations. It wasn't that after he faced the first one, it's like, okay, God, now take me out of this thing. The way of escape was by enduring it with the. F- with the help of his father, of course, and with the strength and power of his, of his father, which, which God w- also provides to us. He gives us the ability to endure. But I just want to emphasize this. It's not out of it. It's not taking out of it. It is going through it. So then kind of in closing, how are we as Christians to respond to trials and temptations? So how do we win this thing? And I just want to g- offer three keys. The first one is resist. The second one is stand firm. And the third one is pray. Let's talk about the first one, resist. It's from James 4, verse 6 to 8. It says, but God, he gives grace to the, but he gives us more grace. Therefore, um, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I just want to emphasize that middle part. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God resist the devil and he will flee from you draw near to God and he will draw near to you when a trial comes that is a time for us to draw near to God like that is we submit to him we draw near to him that is our first stance that we take and we lean on him we seek his will and then the second part is we resist the devil and I almost want to say one of the best ways especially when it's not talking about temptations one of the best ways to resist the devil is to actually flee the thing (laughs) It's not. Uh, I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to like gird up myself and make myself strong. It is just just out of that situation if you can. Um, and there are a couple of verses that says something to that effect. So in Second Timothy two verse twenty two, Paul says, "Flee from youthful lusts." First Corinthians six eighteen, "Flee from sexual immorality." First Corinthians ten verse fourteen, "Flee from idolatry." Yeah. It's it's that's the solution. Run away. <laughs> so. Um, yeah and uh, just on that it's not going uh, like by saying run away I'm not at all suggesting that it's going to be easy or that it's not going to be difficult or that there's not going to be a struggle involved but you have to take a firm stance on this as soon as you see sin knocking at the door essentially like for Cain um we must be very careful to, to draw near to God and and st- um, and stand firm and run away so that we would avoid the snare of the devil so the next one is standing firm or enduring, and, and that's kind of – it links a little bit to what uh, Brad was talking about at the gathering. So I'm not going to emphasize that too much, but I just want to remind you again that what I just said um, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, where it says that the way of escape that the Lord has provided is that we endure through it. And again, as I was reading earlier in James 1, verse 12, um, it says that blessed is the one who perseveres or endures under trial or who stands firm under trial having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the lord has promised to those who love him it's like blesses the one who perseveres because there's a crown of life waiting for you at the end of it so let us stand firm let us persevere let's hold the prize in our, our minds at the end so that we would actually be able to stand firm and then the last one is pray <laughs> and uh, you see this quite beautifully in the garden of gethsemane, gethsemane just before jesus's crucifixion in matthew 14 verse 38 it says jesus speaking to his disciples Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And and we have to realize this. Our flesh is weak. Our flesh will try to entice us. We must watch and pray so that we do not fall into temptation. And if you just compare the disciples of Jesus in that event, Jesus prayed all night, and he stayed faithful to the end, dying on a cross for us. His disciples did not stay faithful in prayer, and they all fled. They all ran away. If we, if we do not... S- invest in this thing just to watch and pray we will not be able to stand the test once it once we face it we need that private prayer life like I was sharing earlier about Jesus we need to have that consistency in just showing up now as a last closing thought if you feel like I have already slipped up I've already fallen I've already now succumbed to this temptation like kind of what hope is there for me and I just want to remind you of 1 John 1 verse 9 where it says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. In uh, in our T, it says but if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all of our wickedness. It is this beauty of the truth of the cross of Jesus that he has lived the perfect life for us and he offers forgiveness for us because he has died in our place. So if we have sinned Confess it. Bring it before him. He is faithful and just. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will bring you back into restoration. It's not too late. And then just Acts 3, verse 19 to 20, it says, Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Wiped away. It's it's gone. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So if you have fallen to this, today is the day of repentance. Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but repent, turn to him and sort things out on the other hand if you are facing various trials at the moment and you're just like I I just can't anymore I'm just tired I've just spent I've been rowing for 10 hours in the middle of the night I just literally can't do it anymore Jesus where are you I just want to remind you again that that verse in Deuteronomy which says that I will never leave you nor forsake you do not be discouraged like I'm with you so remember to actively put your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the storm that sometimes he might have sent you into. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Do not distrust his faithfulness in the moment of being there with you. As hard as it might be, go through the process, endure through it, stand firm, and there will be <laughs> light at the end of the tunnel. And also remember, as you endure, we can expect the crown of life. So I want to just turn that now into just a, just a moment to pray. I, I think if, if you're struggling with temptations, if you're struggling with things that you just keep s- um, slipping up in uh, some form of, like you know this is where you're weak and you just need someone to come around you, um, I would encourage you to speak to your community leader, speak to a leader. Um, we are not t- to face things alone. We ought to be in community and actually walk things out together. Um, but I, I just wanna spend a moment of prayer actually for, for those of you that might feel like you're just facing hardship and trials and you just can't t- anymore. And then we did have a moment of that like that earlier, but I just wanna create another space for that now. Um, if you are saying that, you know, I'm, I'm just facing various trials and I'm just struggling to endure, like I just don't have the strength anymore to endure, um, let us come around you. Let's let's pray for you. So if that is you, like I don't know, I know it's personal, but, you know, can you just s- slip up your hand and can maybe just have a couple of people come around you and just pray. Let's not face these things alone. We are not called to be just by ourselves. So if that's you, I'm sure there are <laughs> several of you. So... Yeah, just keep an eye out those that are around you that have their hands up. Can we just maybe quickly get around them? Delia, if you can maybe just come up and just have a, a bit of time of prayer together. I'm just going to lead us in a prayer together, and then those that are around you, s- just spend a little bit of time in prayer as the just play softly in the background. So, yeah, thank you, Jesus, that we can know that you are faithful and you're true to your word, Lord, that you do not forsake us, you do not leave us, Lord, you do not just Allow us to go through things that you don't also give us the way of escape and the ability to endure, Lord. Your Lord, thank you that we, we can just uh, keep our eyes fixed on you. And as we keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, just things fall into perspective. We can see, again, th- the, the purposes and the plans that you have for us, Lord. Purposes to strengthen us, not to destroy us, Lord. Purposes of, of bringing us into the fullness that you have for us, Lord. Purifying our faith, Lord. Getting all of those impurities out of our faith, Lord. So, Lord, may, us, may we again have the strength to stand firm, may we again have the strength to not look at our circumstances and be overwhelmed by them, but to, uh, to endure through it, Lord. Now, Lord, and if we are facing these various trials and temptations, Lord, give us the wisdom how to deal with them, Lord. May we be consistent in prayer, Lord. May we stand firm in your word, Lord, and may we resist and flee from those things that's trying to destroy us, Lord. Lord, we again humble ourselves before you, Lord. We say the self-life must die, Lord. The selfishness must die, Lord. May you be glorified in us, Lord. pray this in Jesus' name. So let's just spend a bit of time in prayer for each other. And you know, if you're not engaged with someone, just spend, do business with the Lord yourself. If there's something you need to repent of, bring it before him. Um, and if there's something that you just need to write your heart saying that I've been blaming God for difficult things and I've not actually been looking to him for his guidance through it, just spend a bit of time in prayer for that as well for yourself.
1: so for those still praying continue praying don't stop now but for those who have already prayed and all of that there's um two things i wanted to say one wasn't this just amazing Eh, uh god wants to set us free wants to help us realize that even a trial in that he is there even in the trials so remember that that's your hope there's gonna be a outcome there's gonna be a finality to that thing just stick with them and then the second part is more administrative so those of you are visitors who haven't received your coffee please go to Ruan afterwards he will give you a free coffee voucher and then for the rest of us let's all help back up Uh, there was no people here this morning to (laughs) do all of us so some people had to scramble so if all of us can just help pack up the chairs and help take all the things to the back that will be great thank you Then if you ordered your bread from Lindiwe, if you can just go to the info desk. Thank you.